0: Good evening. Good to see you guys here. Well, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you need a Bible, there's a few over here on the table. But we've been going through uh, Paul's epistle to the Corinthians, and we've come to the home stretch. We're in chapter 15, and we're going to spend a few weeks here, probably three weeks in chapter 15 and then close in chapter 16. Chapter 16 really deals a lot of uh, farewells and people that he's kind of talking to, greetings, final greetings about that. But really, kind of the emphasis of this whole epistle comes to this head here in chapter 15, as we're going to be looking at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And chapter 15 talks about the resurrection of, more than any other passage in Scripture. The totality of discussion here on the resurrection of Jesus is very extensive, more so than anywhere else in Scripture. And so it's a very important and powerful thing that we need to look at and address. We're going to go over verses 1 through 11 tonight. So let's read that together as we start off. Now, brothers... I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. All that Paul has been talking about in this epistle, dealing with the behavior that they've had, the problems, their dissensions with one another, their contentions with one another, uh, the doctrinal problems that they've had, the immorality that he's been talking about, the lack of order in worship, all these things actually hinge on the importance of the resurrection. Everything that he has discussed prior to this point really comes to focus here as he speaks about the resurrection. Because all we have understood and come to know and to believe in Christ crucified, God's love for us, the forgiveness of sins, all those things have been authenticated and validated by the resurrection. We are to live now in this validation. We are to live in this resurrection. You see, saying, well, Jesus loves me and Jesus died for my sins, well, that's great, but that means nothing if there is no resurrection because his dying for your sins would have no effect unless it had God's approval and the resurrection is the mark of God's approval for the sacrifice that Jesus made otherwise anyone could say that anyone could say oh yeah you know so and so his death is all you need okay now i believe in so and so now i believe in this but no the power of god's forgiveness in jesus christ hinge on the resurrection this is the core of who we are as followers of christ we have this Hope that, because of his resurrection, we can have confidence that his sacrifice was enough for us. Now, hope is an interesting thing because a lot of times our hope is circumstantial. We place our hope on the circumstances that we see around us and that we experience. I remember when I was in junior high school. it was seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. There was this one kid, I don't remember his name, but he's a pretty big kid. And everyone said he was in a gang. I don't know if he was or not. You know, you don't ask someone like that. You know, are you in a gang? All I know is after school when the other kids were getting in their parents' cars, he got into a lowrider and they would go off, you know, together. And so that just gave validation that he probably is in a gang. And he was a tough kid, and he had a younger brother. he was in the ninth grade, and he had a younger brother. His younger brother got the low end of the gene pool. OK. His older brother was a big guy, he was a pretty burly dude, and he was pretty intimidating. His younger brother was the opposite. He was a tiny guy, scrawny. He was shorter than I was. What's so funny) I was this height all throughout junior high school. I just waiting for that grow, growth spurt still. But his younger brother was as big a bully as him. In fact, he was worse. He used to push everyone around, and everyone knew you don't mess with this kid because of his brother. And so you you wouldn't look him in the eye. You know, you wouldn't even acknowledge him. You just want to stay away from him. And he would just bully people. He had this little, like I think it was like St. Christopher medallion that he'd wear around his neck, and he would take it out, and he'd just start whipping people with it. (laughs) I know, kind of contradiction. And that'd be like in the gym, you know, in seventh grade when you're going in the showers and you have to strip, and this guy would be going there smacking people, and you're just like, oh man, this guy just, he, he gets on your nerves, and you'd see him, and like hope would leave your body, It's like, oh no, here he is, that guy. Oh, man. And then the next year came, and his brother graduated. And things changed. Because he didn't have the defense that he had before. Everyone knew before, if you messed with this guy, his brother would get you. But now his brother was gone. And so now when I'm playing basketball, and he comes up and he says, hey, give me the ball no, I don't have to anymore. He goes, hey, give me the ball. And I say, no. And I was bigger than him. And hope would again begin to well up inside me. Things have changed. I have now defeated these circumstances. I I am now better than this, and I have overcome this bully at school. Well... A lot of times we think of hope as circumstantial. You know, based on our jobs, based on our health, you know, our sickness. And and what happened is, you know, there's this inevitability of death. And what can produce hope beyond this bully of death? what what can get what circumstance is it how much money can you have that will help you beyond death there isn't enough and you see the circumstances that we live in and we faith have you know put our faith in only go up to that point where once we die that's it you die and it's over and, and it's always been that way you know sometimes i think we have this idea that Back then in the New Testament, you know, death wasn't as big a deal as it is now. You know, the resurrection happened, but oh well, not a big deal. You know, because it was like, well, yeah, you know, Uncle Charlie raised from the dead too. And so did, you know, Bill. Oh, you know, but now we have the internet. So we go, oh, that's not true. It's not on the internet. You know, we'd, it's never been true. People don't rise from the dead. It, it's not been Something that's commonplace. This was not a reality in their time. And it was something that we have to recognize that dead people then stayed dead just like they do now. And for them it was as mystifying as it would be to us. It was something that was startling to them and... Yet this is what's revolutionized and give us hope that is beyond the circumstances because the greatest circumstance that we could never get past was death. And you see, this wasn't something that was popular back then. The idea of resurrection wasn't popular to the Greeks. The Greeks thought that you were a soul that was bound in a body. And so when you died, your soul was finally free. And so death was something that was glorious. And resurrection wouldn't be really appealing to them because that's giving you back this body that you're not supposed to have. And the Jews didn't really appreciate the idea of death. It wasn't appealing because, especially in Christ, it was deifying this man. It was blasphemy that he has conquered death in this man. And so they weren't someone who was pursuing resurrection as well. But all of a sudden, Christianity comes, this person of Jesus who rises from the dead and overnight this worldview of what resurrection is is changed. It's recreated. The old ways of thinking are broken and this worldview comes into power that just changes everything. Usually it takes a long time for a world view to take root. But this one had momentum and power that was revolutionary. It happened instantaneously. And we saw why. When you see someone who has died before your eyes and is alive again, it does something to you. It changes the way you think. It has an impact on your life. And you'd probably talk about it to somebody. Yeah, you know, the guy who got crucified the other day? I saw him. Yeah, I saw him. He was walking around. We saw him. No, oh, he must have been someone like him. No, man, it was him. It changed everything. You, you think of things that take time to change our view and the way we think. Do you guys remember when it used to be cool to ride in the back of the truck without seatbelts? That was a blast. Get in the truck, all right, I get the back. You jump in the truck, hanging on. No one thought anything of it. In fact, your parents were cool if they had a truck and you could ride in the back. We'd go to the beach, we'd put some pillows and blankets and lay in the back. It was fun. And now some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, that's awful. How could anyone do that? I saw Mary shaking her head already. The horror, the horror. That's something that took time for it to eventually change. Where No, that's an awful thing. Oh no. Because of how our minds began to change. Because of the statistics that we became aware of. Because of the TV commercials about buckling up. Same thing with smoking. Smoking used to be hip. It used to be cool. Still is in some countries, but not in California. Now, if you smoke in the same house as your kids, you're considered a terrible parent. It didn't used to be that way. It used to be okay. There was a, a shift in the way we thought, but it took time. It took those commercials. It took that lady with the tracheotomy. It took those things that took influence on us to help us think and see things different that made us think, oh, yeah, and over the years, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, people start to get a different mindset. Well, that changed with the resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, all of a sudden it put a light on resurrection that everyone thought of it differently. And we do to this day. It's something that is important. It's changed the worldview and it's turned this worldview upside down. And it's vital. It's vital. Now, in verses 1 and 2, as Paul starts, he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. Does anything stand out to you guys? Come on, speak it. What, what do you get from those verses? What stands out to you? How about that word, if? Is that? Did someone think that word, but they didn't say it? Okay, you got to think, and you got to think out loud now, okay? <laughs> that word, if, and the idea of believing in vain, does that... Catch anyone's attention? Because I sure don't want to believe in vain. And so this comes back to, again, Paul is referring to things that he has already spoken to them about. And he's talking about this gospel. This gospel that I have received. And he goes on to tell us what that gospel is. He defines it in verses 3 and 4 where he says, I received, I pass on to you, First importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. And gospel means what? Good news. This is the good news that I've talked to you about and that I'm continuing to tell you about that you have to have this faith if you're going to be saved. You have to believe in this gospel. You might think, well, what other gospel is there? Well, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, if you want to turn right there real quick. Paul mentions something and it's worth looking at because I think this is a big reference that he had. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You're turning to something different, a different good news, and he goes on and he says, which is really no gospel or no good news at all. Evidently some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And so we now we see there is another gospel. There is the possibility to believe something else about Jesus that isn't true. And the Galatians' sake, they were Going back to the idea where it's up to your works and the things that you do that salvation is going to be dependent on. And Paul is saying, why would you believe that? That's not good news at all. That doesn't make any sense. The gospel, the good news is that Jesus died for your sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And it's important that you believe the real gospel, the real Jesus, the real good news. You know, I had this conversation with a gentleman just this week. We're going to be getting our windows tinted and he came in and we were talking and I talked to him for, gosh, an hour and a half. It was a wonderful conversation. He was a great guy and it was a cordial and and really fun conversation. At least I had fun. I think he did too. Um, As we were talking, he didn't even give me the bid yet. He came in and he asked, so what is this place? I go, well, it's kind of a church office slash meeting place, you know, where we're going to have different events taking place here with part of this church genesis. He goes, okay. And he's getting out his tape measure and stuff. He goes, is it okay if I'm open with you? You know, Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, for me, that, that's just, it. I, I'm like, yeah, you know, be open, come on, you know, that's what you're looking for, someone to be open with, you know, and so he goes, well, here's the problem I have. And he went on to tell me the problems that he has with religion and with Christianity specific. How Christianity, you know, they claim, you know, their only way, there's the only way. And, you know, if unless you follow our rules, you don't get to heaven and they're closed to everyone else. And he basically shared all these things with me. And it, it was a great conversation as we started talking specifically about Jesus You know, he grew up in church, he knew about Jesus, and he just believed that Jesus, you know, was this person who was enlightened, like all these other people who are enlightened. And I said, well, where do you get your information about Jesus from? And he goes, well, the Bible tells us about Jesus, you know, but then the Bible was tainted because of the church in 300 A.D., you know, and so we talked about the manuscripts and how there were thousands of them based on the first century and how they put the manuscripts together were the ones that they knew were handed down throughout the ages that were being passed throughout the churches in the early times so that they could verify their authenticity that some manuscripts you know, are within a hundred, you know, in that first century, 90 AD, we have fragments of the first, or first epistle to John. And so I was sharing with them those things, and I said, well, you know, here's my problem. If the information you get about Jesus is from the Bible, it says he was born of a virgin. It says that he was crucified, and it says that he rose again from the dead. I don't know anyone else who's enlightened like that. He's unique. He said he was the savior of mankind. Now, if he wasn't the savior of all mankind, then he was delusional or lying. And so, what, what are we going to believe about this person, Jesus? Because this is who the scriptures say he is. And so I have a hard time just believing my own ideas about him when it's so clear that what everyone else thought about him was powerful. And then he asked me, you know, well, are there any other documents that talk about Jesus being like that, being the son of God? And I said, well, yeah, there are. You know, Josephus talks about Jesus, the man, if it be lawful to call him a man because of the great works that he did. You know, so there are other things. And then we went on to different topics. we talked about a lot of things. But you see, this idea of resurrection, it validates the fact that the cross was meaningful. It validates that our sins are forgiven. Because if you think your sins are forgiven because you're a good person, because you go to church, because you think about this or you think about that, you're believing the wrong gospel. And if that's the case, maybe you're believing in vain. Maybe you're really putting your hope and stock in something other than the gospel, other than the person of Jesus. Because if you believe in Jesus, it means that what he did for you is essential for you to be invited into the presence of God, there is no other way, and it 's a necessity that that invites us in because of who he is and, and this defines the gospel and Paul explains a little bit more about what that is, you know one of the other conversations I had with him is the idea, well, you know, what about all these other beliefs? Are they all wrong? And and I said, you know, there's a lot of great things in a lot of religions. I'm not saying that everything in every religion is wrong. But here's my issue. I know this about you. That there are things in you that you don't like about yourself. That you know what you should be and you are not yet what you should be. And every other religion in the world says you need to be better if you want to be accepted by God. You need to make yourself better, make yourself more holy if you want to be accepted by God or if it's in reincarnation, if you want to get to the next level. It's up to how you do what you do for you to advance and yet you already know you are not what you should be. You see, the difference about Christianity is that God came for you and did for you what you could not do for yourself. No other God has come for you. Only Jesus. Every other religion you have to earn your way, the only God who's come for you has come to you in Jesus Christ. He's the only one who deals with that area where you are deficient. And you see, again, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's where we put our hope and our faith in what Jesus has done. And Paul gives us these examples of why these things are important. In verse 3 when he says, For what I received I passed on to you. As of first importance, what he received, he's talking about the tradition that he has heard from. And basically, he's talking what the church has believed. This is what I have passed down to you. This isn't something I just made up. This isn't something that, you know, I just got a special revelation. This is a historical belief. These things that I'm presenting to you about Christ dying For our sins, buried, resurrection, that's according to the scriptures, that's what was told to me, that's what I'm handing down to you. You see, anything that's outside of that, we call heresy, because this is what the church has historically believed throughout the ages. This is our heritage. And and so he starts with that first witness of the church, of the things that I received. The second witness he gives is he talks about the scriptures. That he was buried, that he died according to, for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried and rose again from the dead according to the scriptures. And when he talks about the scriptures, both I mean, all well, Jesus, Peter, Paul—they all are referring to the Old Testament because the New Testament wasn't written; it was being written. And so, when he's talking about according to the scriptures, he's talking about the Old Testament. And so he's talking about, you know, um, Isaiah 53. He's talking about Psalm 22, Psalm 16, Hosea 6. He's talking about the shadows and pictures of Abraham sacrificing his son Isaac. Those types that are there, all those things are according to the scriptures that gave us revelation that this is what God was going to do. This was God's intent all along that he would be a man of suffering, that Our shame would be put on him. He was wounded and bruised for our transgressions. This is what the scriptures have told us. And so the second witness of what these things are, are the scriptures. The scriptures themselves. The third witness he gives are the people. And he talks about them, verse 5, and after that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve, After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And so the third witness he's giving is all the people who actually have seen him alive. That's a witness. That's telling people what has happened, the truth. Of what has happened. These things are all verifying and witnesses to what Paul is declaring as being the truth. They're all giving testimony to what he is talking about. In our young adults group, when we were going through one of the passages on the controversial Jesus, Irwin is talking about this scripture where 500 people at one time came to see him and see who the Lord is. And he has, in this auditorium, people stand up. I mean, I don't know how many people we have in here, maybe three, five people or something here tonight. If all you people saw an accident happen, you you were witness to uh, armed robbery, You were you were witnesses to something, and we all went to court, and we all went before the judge, and the judge says, Is this a person you saw who committed this crime? And one by one, you know, yeah, you know, Alex, was that the guy? Yeah, Julie, yeah, yeah, one by one. Yeah, this is what I saw, this is what I saw, this is what I saw. What court would say it didn't happen if us, this group, stood there and testified of it? Now take this and then double it. That's still not even 100 people. And then double that, that's only 200 people. And then double that, that's 400 people. We're talking about 500 people that were still alive at the time that he's walking around. That means when you're walking in a town, there might have been someone there who saw Jesus alive. That would leave an impact. That would be a powerful witness of what had happened. And so the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus being alive, is of vital importance that was something that the church had told Paul, something that the scriptures had verified, and something that these people themselves had witnessed and seen. And all these things led to the place where Paul himself also saw Christ on the road to Damascus when the Lord appeared to him. And then Paul goes on and he gives us a little bit of a testimony in verse 9. He says, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. He tells everyone where he was at. And, you know, that story is something that we can all identify with. I mean, even Peter, who was one of the people that he gave to be a witness Peter denied the Lord. He was afraid. He said, I never knew him. He ran away afraid for his life. And then Jesus appears to Peter. And he asks him three times if he loves him. And he restores Peter and we see a different man. We see a man who is no longer afraid because that bully of death has been eliminated. I'm not afraid anymore. Death does not scare me because I am a witness that someone stronger than death exists. And I believe in him. So now he comes before the priests and boldly shares his faith in Jesus Christ. The testimony of Peter, who is then martyred for his faith in Jesus. And we see the same thing with Paul. Here is a person who was persecuting those who were following Jesus encounters the risen Christ is converted and now is giving his life for Jesus. And you see, giving your life for Jesus, you don't do that if it's a hoax. You don't give your life for something if it was just pretend. If you're just making it up, if you just wanted to start something, if it was, you know, one of these urban legends you wanted to kind of get going. I know, guys, let's start this urban legend. Let's say that Jesus is doing this. and Okay, yeah, we're on it. Okay, we're all in it. Until the first guy gets taken to jail. <laughs> he gets put on the rack or the cross or whatever, and they say, okay, buddy, is Jesus alive? Your family, everything's in the balances here. Oh, I was just kidding, man. No, no. And just me and, and Peter and these guys, we put this urban legend thing, go on Snoops, you can find out, you know, whatever. It, it, it's, it's not the case. They give their lives for this. Paul gives himself to this completely. Wholeheartedly, because of who he was, here was a person who was an enemy, opposed to that work of Christ. And Christ's conquering death... Has proved that death is not king, but just a powerless tyrant. That death will not have reign over me because Jesus does. This experience of who Christ is is so powerful and that he is alive that it transforms these people and it gives Paul this testimony. As he goes on, and his testimony he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Saying this truth changed me. It made an effect on me. It's not without effect. It changed me. And you see, here's the great thing that you and I have the same witnesses that Paul did. We believe what the churches believed. We believe what the scriptures declare. We have the witnesses of Peter. We have the witnesses of Paul. And we ourselves now are witnesses and testify to the work of Jesus, transforming our own lives as we put our faith in him. You see, if you don't have a testimony, then you're not connecting to the God who is alive. You might have a belief in a religion. You might have a belief in the person of Jesus and its stories and its things that you've heard about maybe since the child. But if he has not made you a part of this life that he holds, this testimony is dormant. It's not active because you're not walking in the life of the risen Christ. But many of you here have a testimony. If we were to go around the room and just share, has Jesus changed your life? Let's not get into too many details but because that could get scary. But... Can anyone here testify that Jesus has changed my life? See that hand? No, there's a few. (laughs) You see, that's your testimony of the living power of the the Savior. And it's amazing that some people, as they know us, I know it would be funny when I talk to people who know my wife, and when I start talking about her and how she was before, they can't imagine. Corrine, what? She's like that? No, not Corrine. I go, yeah, she's bad. No, uh, <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, but the remarkable thing is you would not know who she was or my mom or myself by looking at us today. Because I've, been changed by the risen Christ. I am not who I used to be. It has changed me. It doesn't mean I'm perfect. It doesn't mean I'm without fault. But God has changed me. He's changed my priorities and I believe and know that he is alive and he has spoken to me. And he has worked within my heart and made me care about things I didn't used to care about. made me love people that I didn't used to love and made me want to be what I didn't used to care about. The power of God has transformed us and we all have that testimony. We are all able to bear witness to these things of what Jesus has done. And as Paul gives this testimony, he says he worked harder than the others. I always think that's funny. I worked harder than them. Um, But then he's quick to say, but it was... Actually, not I, but it was the grace of God that was with me. And what I love about that is Paul has always been kind of my example just below Jesus. You know, there's Jesus, but then, man, I'd love to be like Paul. I'd love to have the impact that Paul had. And God, why did Paul do that? Well, is it because he worked harder? Well, it was actually the grace of God that he just held on to. The grace of God that transformed him, that allowed him to do all the things that he did. In verse 11 he says, whether then it was I or they, speaking of Peter and those others, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. This is the foundation of our faith. See people, we we need to hold on to the fact that what we believe isn't the story, isn't a lot of things you might find in Reader's Digest or some of those little books that give you warm, fuzzy feelings that you might see on Lifetime Movie Network that make you cry. What we believe is that Jesus, the man, God in flesh, died for our sins to deal with our inadequacies fulfilling what was spoken about in scripture that he was buried and that he rose from the dead and so now our hope is secure because what is greater than death is now made us alive in him. And so we no longer have to fear. We can trust in the Lord. You know, we don't speak about death too much anymore. We, we, we kind of try and gloss it over. We want to stay as young and as healthy as we can. But it doesn't matter how much Botox or how many vitamins you take. Eventually, time's going to win. Eventually, you're going to die. And if you don't watch it, too much Botox starts looking bad. (laughs) And we've all seen the examples of that. Those people on TV, it's like, that ain't normal. (laughs) I'm fighting death. I'm fighting death. No, death is coming. It's going to win. In a lot of places, I know in Europe and some of the places maybe... Back in in the Midwest and stuff, you'd go to churches and all along the churches are the grave stones. And I always thought, that's kind of not a good thing, you know. (laughs) Come to our church, yeah, walk through the graveyard and then come to the church. You know, not real welcoming, inviting, but you know what it was? It was a a reminder. This is going to happen. This is the reality that we all have to face. We don't like to think about it but we're all decaying and we're all going to die. It's inevitable. And they testify to our need for the Savior who is greater than death. And what that does for us is if Jesus conquered death, if he rose again from the dead, then he's able to raise up our bodies as well. And not only that, he can conquer your addictions He he can save your marriages. He can do the impossible. There is nothing too difficult for Him. He is powerful enough to keep you, to keep you pure, to transform you, to, to change you. He is powerful enough to take what has been habits for generations and break them. He is powerful enough to take character and remold it, you know the scriptures say, "Can a leopard change his spots? Can a man keep from sinning?" And the idea is no, you can't unless unless you have one who is greater who can, and that's what we have in jesus he He's not some spiritual vendor who's come to give you his wishes or your wishes. You know Jesus isn't the magic lamp you you rub and say oh lord make me a rock star you know oh lord help me to be manager oh lord give me the good parking spot at target you know oh, oh lord he's not there for your needs he's not there so that your life can be more comfortable his power is there so he can secure your eternity with him his power is there so that it can change your life and make you holy, like him, make you complete. And so what we believe and what we have faith in is what we've always trusted in as the church. That Jesus died for our sins and God gave his applauding approval in the resurrection. And that's what we believe in. And we're going to continue the next couple weeks talking about this topic. Again, this passage of Scripture talks about the resurrection more than anywhere else in all the Bible. And so there's a lot of great stuff here. Is there anything that has jumped out to you in these verses? These 11 verses. Or any questions you have? No questions? Any thoughts? on the importance of the resurrection? Going once? No. Would anyone like to share maybe just a little brief testimony of what the Lord has done in their life? Would anyone like to give a little testimony in that regard? Shy group of folk. Okay. I'll give you your chance. I know, it's kind of put on the spot. Well, let's, let's close in prayer. And then we'll have time to talk and maybe you can share with some other people what the Lord has done. Let's pray. Father, as we move forward with these passages and speak on the resurrection, Lord, it is such a defining, not only point in history, but in our lives. It is such a monumental occasion that it changes the way we think. It has changed the way... Humanity thinks. It has forced us into this new view, Lord, that we dared not even contemplate before. It was just mythology. It was just fairy tales. But now it is a reality and it changes everything. And Lord, I pray that it would change us as well. Especially if we have grown up with the taste of religion and uh, churchianity instead of a risen Christ. I pray, God, that this would capture our hearts and our attention, that we would recognize that this is validation, Jesus, that you are who you said you were, that you could do what you said you could, that you deserve our worship, our faith. Lord, that you are indeed the Savior of the world. And so, Lord, I pray this would draw us to you and to the realization of who you are and that you would be magnified in our lives, even as you were in Peter, even as you were in Paul, Lord, that it would not be without effect, that it would change us. And just as the scriptures have testified of this, just as the The saints of old have testified of this. May our lives testify that you are alive and able to do the impossible because you have done it in us. May we be alive in the life that you give. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.